Well, good morning again, church. Uh, it's a privilege always to be up here and to be able to bring God's word uh, to you. If you guys would join me in opening your Bibles, opening your Bibles to the book of Philemon. Uh, the book of Philemon. Um, if you're using the Black Pew Bibles, I believe that's on page 1,000. Um, and I believe it's that one page you have uh, between Titus and Hebrews. So the book of Philemon. Our text today is going to be from, uh, from verses 17 to 25, but uh, just to help with scripture reading and to give you guys some context, I'm actually going to start the reading um, at Philemon verse 8. So Philemon verse 8. Accordingly, though, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent, in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. And now verse 17, our text today. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord, Jesus Christ, be with your spirit. This is the living and active word of God. Forgiveness, forgiveness is a difficult topic these days. I'm sure at one point or another in our lives, we've heard the saying, to err is human, but to forgive is divine. A phrase that emphasizes the exceptional grace and humility that goes into forgiveness. But in our culture today, the idea of forgiving someone is not even encouraged or valuable. In fact, it's viewed as destructive, toxic, and weak. In preparing for this sermon and uh, throughout this whole series on uh, Philemon, I've seen a lot of different opinions and views on forgiveness. I listened to one therapist give a talk stating that forgiveness is not necessary. Because in one sense, if you absolve that abuser or bully or criminal of their wrongdoing, well then, they will not truly feel guilt or moral responsibility for the wrongs they have done. If they've wronged you, well, 
they have to live with that guilt. It's only what's fair after all. Another paper I read by a counselor argued that forgiveness is not the answer, but hate is. Forgiveness is not the answer, but hate is. And the essence of the paper went like this. If someone has wronged you, seek to return that same offense to the guilty party and use hate as your motivator. I mean, that sounds a lot like eye for an eye, right? So if someone steps over you and steals that promotion from you at work, you don't forgive them. No, you channel your hate. You outdo them at every aspect of your job. And so that the next promotion cycle that comes around, you don't just take the promotion, you take the promotion above them. Someone hits you, don't forgive. Channel that hate into strength. Work out, take martial arts classes, do whatever it takes. So that the next time you see that person, you hit them back even harder. So they know never to touch you again. Forgiveness, I mean forgiveness is you just throwing up the white flag. And we see this kind of thinking and teaching manifest itself in our society today. I mean, people are increasingly hostile and bitter. We make movies and we admire the quote-unquote heroes who are able to act out of vengeance. Crimes of retaliation are common and acceptable nowadays. We have lawyers who are trained to know how to bring lawsuits even over the most slightly misinterpreted act. Even as Sigmund Freud once stated, one must forgive, but not until they've been hanged. If we're real with ourselves, we do not like to forgive, and too often we do not. Instead, we subscribe to another axiom, to err is human, but to forgive is out of the question. And I believe there is a big reason for this kind of thinking. I mean, it's, this thinking is simply a reflection of what is in our heart, in our nature, as sinners. Forgiveness is just one of those things that just is not natural to us. In human eyes, forgiveness is not natural. It needs help. It needs motivation. It needs encouragement to bring about. I mean, if any of us have been wronged, even just slightly, we know that in real life, it's not always as simple as just saying, I forgive, and the matter is put to rest. Bitterness lingers, and grudges grow. And I think that's one of the many purposes of the book of Philemon. The book of Philemon exists to show us the outworkings of the gospel and forgiveness in real life. And particularly what we are going to see in these final nine verses today is how exactly do we aid and motivate someone who is seeking to forgive, especially in a situation that sin has made exceptionally messy. And as we see in Paul's final remarks in this epistle, there are practical steps as well as spiritual reminders that we can take to help spur someone towards forgiveness. Uh, but before we, we dive into that, I want to set us up on the background of Philemon since it's been uh, several months since I was last in this book. Uh, the book of Philemon is concerned with mainly three individuals. It's concerned with Paul, Onesimus, and Philemon. Onesimus was once a slave of Philemon's until one day, uh, for whatever reason, he up and sudden decides to run away from Philemon's house. Uh, but God had plans even in the midst of Onesimus' transgression. 
As he runs away, Onesimus comes into contact with Paul in Rome. Paul, who was a Roman prisoner at the time, evangelizes to Onesimus. Onesimus hears the gospel, he repents, and now he joins Paul on the front lines of ministry for the gospel. But Paul, in God's providence, is also friends with Philemon. And Paul knows that Philemon is indeed a faithful man, a man who loves his church, and a man who deals with integrity. And so when he realizes that Onesimus has abandoned his post, Paul realizes he needs to make things right before he does anything more with Onesimus. And so what he does is he, he sends Philemon, he tells, or he sends Onesimus, he tells Onesimus to go back to Philemon's house in Colossae, bring this letter, this epistle, the letter to Philemon in hand, asking Philemon to forgive and to reconcile with Onesimus. And this is my third and final message in closing out this epistle and to do some brief backtracking over my past messages. In verses 1 through 7, uh, Paul opens the epistle by praising Philemon's character and affirming who he is as a co-laborer in Christ because it is on the grounds of this character that Philemon can forgive. My most recent message in Philemon verses 8 through 16, Paul gets to the heart of the matter and addresses the topic of forgiveness for Philemon. And Paul makes a series of appeals on why Philemon should forgive and welcome back Onesimus. And he lets Philemon know that Onesimus has genuinely changed and that if Philemon can forgive him, he's not just receiving back a bondservant now, but a beloved brother in the family of God. But Paul knows he, you can't just sign off on the letter saying, this is why you should forgive and just leave it at that. And Paul knows that forgiveness is a tough matter in reality. Philemon has indeed been dealt with a serious loss, and there is real work to be done to mend the relationship. It is still a tough hill to climb. And so as Paul closes the letter, in verses 17 through 25, he provides Philemon with a series of encouragements to demonstrate his support for Philemon to make the decision to forgive. As difficult as forgiveness is, there are practical considerations we can take into account in order to properly restore the relationship. And so as we look, as we look today at verses 17 through 25, I want us to see five acknowledgments Paul makes to compel forgiveness. Five acknowledgments Paul makes to compel forgiveness. And the first acknowledgment is an acknowledgment of material debt. An acknowledgment of material debt. And we see that from verse 17 to the first half of verse 19. Uh, beginning in this section in verse 17, Paul now switches to business terms, uh, which is fitting due to Philemon's occupation as a businessman. But also practically there is a bit of business that does need to be addressed. So in verse 17, he opens with the conditional statement. So if you consider me a partner, receive him as you would receive me. And that term partner used here uh, is the same term you think of when you hear about partners in a law firm or in a corporation. It's a business relationship. You are both stakeholders in the same company vision. You are both responsible for the successes and failures of your companies. And you both share in the profits and losses together. And in using this term, Paul is now drawing a metaphor to how Paul and Philemon are spiritual partners as well. Philemon, as your fellow stakeholder, as your partner, I want you to take 
Onesimus back. But it's not just as straightforward as just opening the door to him again. Staying true to his partnership, Paul understands that on an earthly level, Onesimus has created a debt. And, well, that debt needs to be paid. Onesimus likely stole money from Philemon and also incurred a huge financial loss by simply abandoning his job. And so, and so even though Paul has asked Philemon to forgive, Philemon still fully deserves to get back what is owed to him. Unfortunately, Onesimus, as a runaway slave, probably has no means to pay that back either or to overcome the debt he has made. And so Paul offers a solution. In verse 18, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Charge that to my account. In my Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, I work as a software engineer for a company that serves as what is called a payment facilitator. And what a payment facilitator does is that uh, it provides software services for any merchant. So think any small business like your local mom-and-pop bookstore or cafe. It provides software services for that merchant to accept payments and transactions from its customers. And so, as a payment facilitator, it is always important for our business and for our reputation that the merchant always receives its funds. And so, one of the guarantees that you see that is common in our industry is that if any step along the way, whether it be a bug in our software, an issue with the acquiring bank, or whatever reason along the path, if that money gets lost, well, then it gets charged to our own account so that the merchant always stays whole. And that's, in a sense, loosely how Paul is acting here. He's serving as a facilitator, so that Philemon will not suffer any loss, at least on a material level. If that's what's going to hang him up, Paul wants Philemon to be made whole so that he can respond with grace. Paul even guarantees it, and he seals it when in verse 19 he says, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. Many of the Pauline epistles were written by what is called an amanuensis. And that's, an amanuensis is essentially an individual who writes as Paul dictates his letter verbally. And so here in this verse, what he does is he takes the pen out of his own secretary's hand and he says, I'm going to sign that myself. And what Paul is doing is he's showing that I am the one fully backing this. This is a legally binding contract Paul is entering into here. Paul is taking full responsibility for this debt. As we saw in verse 13, Paul was already making a huge sacrifice and sending Onesimus back. But now he ups the ante even more, saying he will pay back anything that is owed. And you may wonder how Paul can even do this with himself being in prison. Like, is he making an empty promise here? Uh, Well, I don't think so. I think what is likely is that because of Paul's reputation and breadth of ministry, Paul likely had many other wealthy sponsors who were willing to back him financially. And to Paul, money was never the object in concern here. It was simply a tool to do kingdom work. Paul is fully willing to repay whatever cost has been incurred. That's how serious Paul saw that forgiveness needed to be pursued. And his greatest desire was to see the household of God live in Christ-like harmony. And so a failure to forgive will sadden Paul. It will burden him. It will tear him apart. Because Paul wants nothing more than to see two Christians living out the gospel in their own lives. 
So Philemon, you still have a right to what is yours, and if you are suffering any losses, consider it done, paid for, wiped out by me. Both Onesimus and I understand that we are asking a lot out of you to take Onesimus back as a brother. And to show you that we are not making light of this request, and since Onesimus has no money to pay you back, I, Paul, am willing to back any losses. And this is a practical principle for us in forgiveness as well. If you ever find yourself in the position where you are seeking forgiveness, you need to show you are serious about your repentance. And part of that is trying to repay any debt you have incurred. Forgiveness does not excuse your sin. And the reality is that sin can have far-reaching consequences. It can generate a lot of collateral damage. And if it's practically possible, well then, it ought to be rectified. So if there's a damage to reputation, you go out of your way to repair it. Maybe you've attacked someone on social media. Be sure you go back and you retract whatever statements you have made. Maybe you have slandered someone to a group of friends. Well, then you better go back to those same group of friends and make sure they know you were completely wrong in everything you said. If there's earthly damage, do whatever it is in your power to pay them back. If you want the other party to wipe out your sins, well, I mean, you better also try to wipe out the damage you have done if you can. Otherwise, how meaningful is that repentance anyways? And that is what Paul is doing here on Onesimus' behalf. He and Onesimus understand that there's a very real loss inflicted to Philemon. And so if they want to strive towards reconciliation, well, then they also better be willing to make amends as well. In human eyes, forgiveness is not natural. But sometimes it helps when the other party demonstrates that they are willing to restore what is lost. That's our first acknowledgement. The second acknowledgement is now an acknowledgement of spiritual debt. So acknowledgement of material debt, now spiritual debt. As soon as, and we, and we see that in verses 19b to 20. So the latter half of verse 19 through verse 20. As soon as Paul makes a commitment to repay, Paul now slips in a side remark here. The latter part of verse 19. To say nothing of you owing me, even your own self. And what this phrase is, is this phrase is a reference to Philemon coming to saving faith under Paul's ministry. Paul also evangelized to Philemon and brought him into the family of God. Remember Philemon, who you heard the gospel from. Yes, I will certainly pay you back. But in a sense, remember also, you do owe a lot to me too, Philemon. And I do not think Paul is doing this to manipulate the situation or to guilt trip Philemon. But what he is doing is pointing Philemon to his own spiritual debt. Think about it from your own shoes as a Christian. Can you remember that moment when you came to saving faith or when you first heard the gospel? Perhaps it came from your spouse. It came from a youth pastor, a sibling, your college roommate, one of the elders here at this church. Whoever that person was, that person helped. God used that person to bring you the gift of freedom from sin, the gift of knowing Christ, and the gift of eternal life. And that is not something you can ever repay them for. Yes, Philemon, you are owed something, and we will do everything in our power to take care of that. But remember, there is a debt beyond what just Onesimus owes. And then he follows that up in verse 20. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you 
in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. And that Greek word for benefit in verse 20 is the Greek word onaimen, which again sounds a lot like Onesimus. And that is what's so classic to this epistle. This epistle is filled with puns. He uses it earlier in the epistle to refer to Onesimus' usefulness as a newly saved brother in Christ. But now Paul uses it in a different way here. And the purpose of this pun is to reflect Onesimus' name back to himself. For example, let's say you are a parent, and Paul is writing another one of his letters, except this one is on behalf of your daughter who has run away, and her name happens to be Joy. And Paul is pleading for you to reconcile with your daughter and to take her back, and so he throws down this pun. I hope you can take your daughter back because I want you to have some joy in your life. You see, there, there's emotional joy in having your daughter back, but it's also because you have joy back herself. That's how the pun is working out here in the Greek. The benefit here is to have Onesimus back himself. And there is so much benefit to having Onesimus back. He will not only be beneficial to you for your business purposes now, but in your labor for the Lord. He's no longer an estranged employee, but now he's part of that tight-knit fellowship of believer you share with your church. And that is what you get when you can forgive. And finally, verse 20 ends with, Refresh my heart in Christ. Earlier, in verse 7, Paul talks about how Philemon's character has refreshed him. And again, he uses that same verb here, refresh. Paul reminds Philemon that by forgiving Onesimus, there's also many positive side effects as well. One of which being Paul's own encouragement from seeing the gospel be made manifest in these two lives. Our previous point, we addressed repayment. But there's also a principle here if you are the one granting forgiveness. You can forgive when you understand the debts you yourself owe. Like we said before, how can you repay that person who first brought the gospel to you? But in addition to that, I mean, there's so much more. How can you repay your disciples who have sanctified you? How can you repay your closest friends who have borne some of your deepest burdens? How can you repay those who have forgiven you of your own sins? How can you repay your pastors for bringing God's word to you? How can you repay your family for loving you despite your deepest flaws on display? I mean, above all, how can you repay God for his grace and his mercy? And the reality is, if we look at ourselves, there are many spiritual blessings that God has freely given to us through other people. We are the people we are today because so many others have poured into us freely and lavishly. And we cannot ever hope to repay them. We are indebted to all of them. But when you understand that, well, maybe it also helps you to recognize that you can overcome and forgive someone who has wronged you as well. When I realize my debts to others, can I not also forgive others' debts to me? And similar to what Paul writes, perhaps by doing so, you will find that there is benefit for yourself and that you can refresh those around you. In human eyes, forgiveness is not natural, but it helps. It helps to understand sometimes your own indebtedness to others. That's the second acknowledgement, an acknowledgement of spiritual debt. 
The third acknowledgement we're going to look at now is an acknowledgement of obedience. An acknowledgement of obedience. Verse 21 opens with, Confident in your obedience, I write to you. And Paul again acknowledges Philemon's character. In verses 1 through 7, he spends that, that entire section of the epistle acknowledging Philemon's character, and now again he returns to it in this verse. And in this moment in Philemon's shoes, when Onesimus first shows up on your doorstep with this letter, I'm sure your first instinct is not to forgive. We are all sinners, and our natural inclination is not just to accept him right away, it's probably to push back, to challenge, to look him in the eye and say, hey, what's your deal, Onesimus? And Paul knows that too. And so again, he reinforces his encouragement. He says, I'm confident in your obedience. And just a few months ago, if you were anything like me, you found yourself glued to your TVs watching the Olympics. And what I think of when I read that verse is that athlete who realizes the moment they've been training for their whole life is about to happen. They realize they got the eyes of the world watching them and they're just thinking about everything that is at stake. And as they are about to step on that balance beam or jump onto those uneven bars or start their takeoff for their jump, well, their coach comes and pats them on the back and says, I'm confident that you will not only succeed and take gold, but you are going to shatter that record. That's how I see Paul acting here. He's not trying to be a domineering boss. He's not trying to be an authoritative apostle, but he is like a coach trying to instill a sense of assurance in Philemon, reminding him, yes, I am asking a lot of you, but I'm also confident you are capable of being obedient to what you are called to. I've seen your character, Philemon. I know that you are a man of God. I know that the whole church is watching you. And this is finally the time where you put all that character into action. Before you even begin to speak a word to Onesimus, Philemon, remember, I am confident you will forgive. And we've said this over and over again. Now, this situation is delicate and it has a lot of room for messiness. And Paul praises Philemon in such a way that he will not be obedient to Paul's demands, but now unto the Lord. And he is not only confident Philemon will obey, he believes Philemon will go above and beyond expectations. The latter part of verse 21, knowing that you will do even more than I say. And there's a lot of debate as to what this phrase means. Some take this to mean um, that Philemon will simply just reject any kind of repayment uh, and simply just forgive and accept Onesimus. Some take this to mean that Paul hopes uh, Philemon will simply grant Onesimus his freedom and no longer hold him as a bondservant anymore. Maybe it means welcoming Onesimus now into his household and giving him a seat of honor at the table. But regardless of what it means, Paul is so confident in who Philemon is and in his obedience that he knows Philemon is going to go above and beyond expectations in forgiveness. And finally, verse 22, Paul requests that Philemon prepare a guest room for him. He trusts that one day he will be reunited with Philemon in person. But I think verse 22 also kind of serves as a subtle reminder to say, hey, I am planning also to follow this up with you in person one day on this very issue. 
He's personally making sure that Philemon will also recognize that this is a matter of obedience, and he's saying, I'm going to hold you accountable to it when I visit you one day. And as we see in these verses, while Paul is not manipulating Philemon or or trying to twist his arm, what he is doing is making it clear that this is not a matter of something optional to do or something that he would like Philemon to do, but that this is ultimately a matter of obedience. Forgiveness is ultimately a matter of obedience. In Matthew 18, when Jesus tells Peter that you must forgive 70 times 7, he was not making a suggestion. He was not saying, this is the extra credit you get for going and being the above and beyond godly Christian. Jesus was giving a command. Forgiveness is something required of us because we cannot love God and worship him properly if we are harboring grudges or bitter at another person. And when we say we follow Christ, we strive to follow his commands in all we do. And Christ has always made it clear that we are called to be a forgiving people. And understand this, that withholding forgiveness should never be an option for us. Withholding forgiveness should never be an option for us. Sin is ultimately dealt with in two consequences. Sin is either punished for an eternity in hell or it is poured out on the cross for Jesus to bear. And I know, I know that many of us bear wrongs and burdens that weigh on us daily. I have no place to say that I can relate to the pain you might be going through. But I hope you understand that withholding forgiveness will never get you closer to overcoming those transgressions. As hard as it might seem, I truly believe embracing forgiveness is our first step towards healing. God calls us to obedience, not because he wants to control our lives, but because obedience to him indeed is a good thing. And when we withhold forgiveness, we are saying one of two things. We are saying what was done to me was so heinous, so wicked, so wretched, that not even an eternity of the worst imaginable condemnation can pay for it. Or we are saying, God, there's nothing you can do to appease what was done for me, not even the death of your own son. Forgiveness is a matter of obedience. And being disobedient to it reflects how little power the cross truly has on our own lives. In human eyes, forgiveness is not natural. But it does not change the fact that God still requires it of us. That's the third acknowledgement, an acknowledgement of obedience. The next acknowledgement we'll see now is an acknowledgement of the body. An acknowledgement of the body. And we see that in verses 23 and 24. So now we're in the final three verses of this letter. And in these final three verses, Paul begins to wrap up his letter. And in typical Pauline fashion, he ends it by mentioning greetings from his other co-laborers in the ministry and giving a parting benediction. And it's always really easy to gloss over these epistolary endings and say, well, that's it, and we can just skim past it quickly. But I think actually in these three verses, there is actually still a lot we can learn about forgiveness. Verses 23 and 24, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. 
These are all faithful friends of both Paul and Philemon. They're all part of this tight-knit fraternity, laboring together in the name of Christ. And in one sense, yes, Paul does mention them because they do send their greetings, but this is not just a passing comment. I believe these greetings reveal that this is not a private matter between Paul, uh, Philemon, and Onesimus, but that all these friends are reading this letter too, and all these friends are also intimately familiar with the matter at hand. And they all fully affirm what Paul is writing. And I think this is done to show that forgiveness is not an isolated matter, but a community matter. Forgiveness is not an isolated matter, but a community matter. They all agree with you, Paul. And hopefully, the collective weight of these individuals' appeal will also help sway you as well, Philemon. They're here to walk alongside, to help you, to hold you accountable as you forgive. They're here to mediate, offer counsel, encourage you, and exhort you as you begin your path of reconciliation. And remember, not only that, but besides these individuals, this, church, this letter was also meant to be read out loud to the church. So that the church would know and other saints can guide both Philemon and Onesimus in mending their relationship. And we could talk in depth about each one of these names mentioned here. Because each individual listed here actually is very unique in their own way. But the one name I do want to spend some time talking about is the name Mark here. The name Mark here, this is John Mark, who's also the, who's also the author of the Gospel of Mark. And if we look in our Bibles, Mark is introduced in Acts 13 as going on a missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas. But later on in Acts 15, it becomes clear Mark did not stick around for long. For whatever reason, it seems that Mark chickened out and he abandons Paul and Barnabas. And Paul sees that as such a heinous betrayal from Mark that he actually argues with Barnabas about it and he separates from Barnabas. He does not want to be with Barnabas if it means going along with Mark. And so there's a split. Barnabas takes Mark and they go to Cyprus, while Paul and Silas go to Syria. What was once a promising partnership on the mission field is now broken up because of Mark's inadequacies. But again, as this letter indicates, things have changed. And now it seems that Mark is a fellow worker. And even then, in 2 Timothy, Paul explicitly asked Timothy to bring Mark with him because he is now useful to him. And so it is clear that between Paul and Mark, this also is a relationship revived. Paul and Mark had to go through the hard work of forgiveness as well. And being in that same circle, Philemon likely knew this himself. And so as he's reading these names, seeing Mark's name lets Philemon know that there is already someone in this cohort who can genuinely relate to the issue of forgiveness. Forgiveness is never an easy choice to make, but God gives means of grace to guide you along that journey. And one of them is simply the company of other brothers and sisters. One of the advantages of bringing these matters before the counsel of other wise and godly people is that many have walked the same, if not harder, path of forgiveness as well. Just like with Mark, you can ask for their examples and their experiences as well. And they can speak from their lives to compel you to make that same decision. And like we said before, forgiveness is also a matter of obedience. So having other people around you helps. It helps make sure on one hand that the transgressor is working towards repentance and that you too are also taking the steps to forgive and reconcile. And this is one of the many reasons of why we have the church as well. Our unity as a body is meant to reflect the image of Christ. Our goal is to be presented as his pure and holy bride. And so if there's any lingering conflicts or sin that could threaten that image, do not keep it amongst yourself. Bring it before your small group. Bring it before your friends, the elders. The body is here to help you. They're here to mend bridges, to intercede for one another, 
Do not ever feel like you are on your own when it comes to forgiveness. There's a large reason why God has always had his people dwell in community with one another. And a large part of that is because the Christian life is filled with many challenges, such as forgiveness. And having that community around us gives us a support system. In human eyes, forgiveness is not natural. But we can turn to the people around us for support. That's the fourth acknowledgement, an acknowledgement of the body. So we have an acknowledgement of material debt, spiritual debt, obedience, the body, and now our final acknowledgement, an acknowledgement of grace. An acknowledgement of grace. And this is a powerful benediction here in verse 25. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. As Paul signs off on this letter, after the, after the entire case he has laid out to Philemon, he wishes for the grace of Jesus Christ to accompany Philemon. In verses 23 and 24, Paul reminds Philemon of all his friends who are accompanying him in this journey to forgive. But in verse 25, he points out the best of friends. You have no better friend still than God's grace. When all your other friends desert you, you can still turn to this one friend. And if you're in Philemon's shoes, as you've read this whole letter, these are not just filler parting words that just sign off on the letter. I think this verse serves as Paul's final punctuation that forgiveness is ultimately an act that requires grace. If we try to find it in our own strength to forgive, if we try to find it in our own capacities to forgive, it is always going to be a long and challenging battle, a battle we will likely never win. We need to draw on the grace of Jesus Christ if we are to ultimately forgive. That is the support we need. In human eyes, forgiveness is not natural. But in human eyes, do you know what else seems unnatural? What seems unnatural is that Jesus, the eternal king, robed in riches, would condescend to this lowly earth in the form of a man. That despite living an innocent life of perfect obedience, Jesus would submit himself to an unjust execution reserved for thieves and murderers. That as he died on the cross, Jesus would be willing to receive holy wrath poured out from his Father. That the tomb enclosed with Jesus' crucified body would open up again empty three days later. That Jesus would rise from the dead, conquering death and sin once and for all like no other man. That through Jesus, a perfect righteousness is now freely bestowed to sinners on the basis of faith alone. By our own intuition, none of these things should add up. In our own estimations, none of these things should make sense. But Jesus comes and he is a supernatural savior. And that, that is the message of grace. In human eyes, sin is what's natural, but Jesus saves us from it. In human eyes, grace is never deserved, but Jesus pours it out freely onto us. In human eyes, forgiveness is not natural, but it is at the very nature of who Jesus is. And now he pours out his spirit into us, and he enables us to walk in that very same nature. Jesus comes out of his grace and he bears our burdens for us. He dwells in union with us. And when we understand the riches of grace that Jesus has bestowed to us in his gospel, we will find we have all we need to forgive. 
When we turn to Jesus in humility, we will find all the divine enablement we need to pardon even the gravest offenses done against us. This letter to Philemon is a striking reminder that if you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, that which God calls for, he provides. If you are in Christ, that which God calls for, he will always provide. And that includes the strength to forgive. Grace enables you to look into the eyes of the one who has hurt you and say, I forgive you. Grace is what allows you to say, I choose not to remember the wrongs you have done. Grace is what allows hostile enemies now to be reconciled as brothers and sisters. Yes, in human eyes, forgiveness is not natural, but Jesus gives us supernatural strength. In these five acknowledgments, Paul opens the door for Philemon to respond with forgiveness as graciously as possible. These five acknowledgments are clear evidences that God will always provide that which he calls us to. And I think these five acknowledgments give us practical insights into how forgiveness works in real life in the church. And before we sign off, now there's just one more question left that I want to address. Well, did Philemon ever forgive Onesimus? Uh, Scripture is silent, but what we do know is that immediately after the apostolic age, our early church fathers were diligent in maintaining, preserving, and replicating what they considered to be the canonical and spirit-inspired scripture. And many of these church fathers were based out of Colossae as well, where Philemon lived. And so I believe they likely would not have kept this letter around had they known Onesimus and Philemon never truly reconciled. And fast forward about 50 years, and we do see one surviving story. A man named Ignatius produces a writing called The Collections of Apostolic Fathers. And in it, he addresses a bishop named Onesimus, who is now the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And it is likely that this Onesimus is the very same Onesimus here. What a transformation that is in his life, from useless to useful, from runaway slave to pastor. Not only that, later on, church history tells us that Onesimus died being martyred for the gospel. As for Philemon, well, church history keeps him in Colossae, and he likely stayed faithful to his character and to his church. And at the end of his life, Philemon also dies being martyred for the gospel. These two individuals, from master and slave now to fellow soldiers in Christ, from disputing over worldly losses now dying for eternal causes. Both Philemon and Onesimus were powerful testimonies to the gospel in their last days. This letter, though small, changed their lives radically. And perhaps, perhaps this letter can change yours as well. We've all been hurt before. We've all been offended. I'm sure we've all had points in our lives where forgiveness just did not seem natural to us. But as this letter encourages us, as much of a hill as that might be to climb, we can overcome it. The reality is, yes, sin is messy. Sin can damage relationships. Sin can cause layers and layers of destruction. Sin can ruin lives. But when you understand the forgiveness that God has for you in Christ, 
And when you draw on that forgiveness to reconcile with those who have wronged you, there's no limit to how God can use that for his glory, just like with these individuals. Let's pray. Father, we come before you knowing that we do have an immeasurable debt in our names, but Jesus has paid that on our behalf. And we pray that we would be humbled by that debt every day and that we would forgive our debtors as you have forgiven us. Far too often we have been disobedient to your call to forgive, but we ask for your body to strengthen us and your grace to enable us to do what might seem unnatural in our flesh. And we ask that Jesus would be our firm foundation, our source of hope and comfort for us, so that we can overcome even the gravest offenses done to us. We pray this all in your son's name. Amen.